Good morning, Community Life. Man, we've been learning a lot through the book of Nehemiah, haven't we? There's, there's a whole bunch going on there, and I'm hoping as we begin today in Nehemiah chapter 8, you can turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, that'll get us started here today, uh, starting in verse 10, so you can uh, pull of your mobile device however you choose to uh, read your Bible. And we're going we're gonna to use today as the finale of the series Goals. A study through Nehemiah. Everything should be coming together now as we think through goals and what that actually means in our lives, what it actually meant through Nehemiah, and how we can pull it together. So even if, even if this is like the first time today that you're listening like to this series, uh, the goal of for today is to bring it all together under one heading so we can understand a little bit better of what this series was all about. And so to begin, just to kind of do some review, uh, we had three main characters in uh, the book of Nehemiah. Now, you'll remember we talked about at the very beginning that Nehemiah and Ezra were actually one letter, one document that was written by one author, but in the more modern translations, it's actually Ezra and Nehemiah have been separated, but they very much so had a very consistent work together. In fact, reading through the book of Nehemiah, you'll see Ezra pop up in his roles. Uh, so we had three main characters, uh, King Zerubbabel, somebody say that, Zerubbabel. Nice, right? <laughs> Will says, I'm not even trying it. Those are fun names to say. Zerubbabel, he was there because he was actually called by God to send the people back to Jerusalem to build the temple. He really felt that he had that calling on his life. We had Ezra, who was primarily focused, uh, the, the book was the building of the temple, the tabernacle, but also in Nehemiah, the teaching of the scripture, teaching people in ways that they should behave. And Nehemiah, of course, as we've been learning, is his focus was actually the rebuilding of the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. And we uh, kind of celebrated that last week where there was a lot of things done with the wall. And what we're going to learn about today is the celebration that goes along with that. Week one, we uh, talked about how big difficulties can inspire God-sized goals. Big difficulties, so, you, you know, believers, if you're looking for a God-sized goal, here's, the, here's what you do. Don't look for the sunshine. Don't look for the rainbow. Look for the difficulty. Look for the challenges around you, and that can inspire a God-sized goal. When you see difficulties of, of homelessness, uh, job loss, when you look at the difficulties of uh, human trafficking, those are difficulties, and oftentimes that can inspire God-sized goals, somebody to step up and do something about it. You are actually designed, we learned, week two, for God-sized goals. You were created in the image of God, and as a follower of Christ, you were designed for difficulties. You were designed for God-sized goals goals. So you're, it was, you were never designed to actually walk through life and everything to be kind of hunky-dory. You were actually designed to accomplish and to be able to go after big things. Look at David. He was designed to go out to, to actually defend. He didn't go after like on the attack necessarily, but he was really defending the name of God by, by taking down Goliath. He was designed for that. There was Daniel that was designed to go through the lion's den. There were individuals all through the story. They were designed to experience these things because they were created in the image of God. So you are actually, your DNA says, I can do this. Can't do it alone, but we can do this. God gives us the strength 
to pursue these God-sized goals. Not only do we look for difficulties, do we actually are designed for it, but God gives us the strength for these God-sized goals. It's not just a matter of you come up with an idea and then you try to do it and then that's kind of the way it goes. No, no, a God-sized goal demands that we have God-sized help. And the only way to do that is to actually trust that God is going to guide you. And he will give you the strength to pursue and accomplish what he has called you to do. It's not a matter of Nehemiah saying, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you go ahead and bless my idea, and then we'll go ahead and move forward with it. More, it was actually God had been crafting this moment for Nehemiah even before he was conceived in his mother's womb on how this was going to play out. Look at the way that he was a, a, a cupbearer to the king. Look at the way that he had passion for where his ancestors were. Look at where he was, where he was in exile, right? He was actually most likely born there. And so we look at all these things and we say, man, he was in difficult things or kind of super lucky for him. No, no. God is always in control and always crafting these moments for his purpose and for his will. Last week, we looked how God-sized goals require that we actually share the story. It's important for us to share the story, share our plans, because a goal without a plan, we learned, is just a wish. I really wish that we could do this as a goal, but if you don't have a plan, it doesn't really accomplish anything. Last week, we looked about how in Nehemiah chapter 7, Nehemiah listed a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of things that people did. And it's sometimes people can go through Nehemiah and they're going, why do I even need to know this? Why do I need to know this person? Why do I need to know that person? It's important for us to elevate and encourage people and support people around us. So what did Nehemiah do? He wrote a list of his team. He wrote a list of the people that came alongside to do this, and he shared the story. Last week, we learned through the history of ministry that has been right here in Mogador through this church family that it comes to almost 200 years. Doesn't mean it's an old ministry. It means it's a strong legacy of longevity, a continuing ministry of, uh, of grace and of hope and of love. And so we learn through that, like we have to share the story, we need to remember where we have come from and the people that were a part of that story. Now today we're going to look at how God-sized goals require God-sized gratitude. And starting in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to be walking through a little bit of this, and chapter 9, a little bit of chapter 10, and some of chapter 12, and you're going to see how this comes together, because they were having an amazing celebration, and their goal, their focus, was to say thank you. Today's, the title for today's sermon is simply, thank you, right? Say that with me, ready? Thank you, right? So it wasn't just a thank you, it was actually kind of a, a thank you, and we're going to see how that plays out in the very last chapter. But for now, they decided to actually have a huge party. And he's making this stuff happen, right? And they're just praising God. And we're going to see through this story how they, they went on and on and on and on. They just spent chapter after chapter after chapter honoring God. See, even getting confetti up here. And so we're going to learn at what the leaders actually did to encourage and inspire and pretty much command that the, that the individuals would follow, the people that lived there would, would honor God and praise God in this moment. So you can imagine the wall is done. 
The gates are in. The tabernacle is complete. People are getting in place and people are getting it all. And now we want to honor and celebrate God. So you can imagine after the completion of a huge, huge project, a God-sized goal, you would be on a very spiritual high, right? Could you imagine, you ever been in a moment where you're going, this is amazing, this is wonderful, God must be real because I feel so good. And we have a moment here where they are celebrating hard. They didn't just have an hour in service where they threw confetti and brought out balloons, they actually celebrated for an entire week plus. And so here we begin in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, and the leaders are uh, kind of lay, laying this out here. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drink and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Now listen, this is like the most epic, most ultimate potluck. You ever been to a potluck? Right? A church potluck. We love going to the church potlucks. We, we love potlucks. Now I understand we're in a pandemic, but there will be a day. We will potluck again. And so when you go to a potluck, there's something inside of us as people, as, as Americans, that say, if I don't have anything to bring, then I won't go. You felt that. We're taught here that there are individuals that are a part of the family that didn't have anything to prepare, but because they participated in the family, they showed up. And then they were commanded, these other guys that actually were able to prepare and probably prepared more than they should, to share those with other people. Let me tell you something. Just because you can't show up with a, with a present doesn't mean that your presence isn't a gift. You hear me? Show up. It's not a, their party, their birthday, their wedding, their uh, baby shower. That's not about you. So to not celebrate would make it about you. And it's not. It's about honoring God in this moment so everybody showed up, whether they had a dish or not. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Don't be sad. We're not trying to feel that. No, no, no. You're going you're gonna to keep your head up high and be happy. For the joy of the Lord is your... That's where that verse came from, huh? Look at that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush! Don't weep! This is an awesome day. There's no reason for you to be crying, for this is a sacred day. This is the, uh, so then the people went away and, and they, to eat and to drink at a festival meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. Not only were the walls completed, but the Jewish people were now turning their hearts to God. Nehemiah had this God-sized goal that, man... We can't, we can't really honor God unless we have the wall set up. So perhaps if we get the wall set up, more people will come back and they'll turn their hearts back to God. And guess what? It's happening. It's happening where people are actually, their hearts are being turned back to the Lord in incredible form. Nehemiah had hoped for this, and it was actually coming, uh, coming true. So when Nehemiah's goal was achieved, he celebrated with great joy and invited others to join him. Celebrating on your own, is that, really a is that really a celebration? No, man, call somebody up. You know what it's like when you have great news. You have that person or that couple of people that you call up and you want to celebrate with them. And you're just like, hey, I just had to tell you something. I'll get calls from time to time and says, hey, I just had to tell you this. And we would celebrate, and that was the whole reason of the call. So he brought people along. This festival uh, went on for an entire week. 
entire week. And they didn't want to stop. They just kept honoring and celebrating. Ezra was actually standing up, and he was in the tabernacle, and he was reading the scriptures, the Torah of the time, and that was the scriptures that they had, and they're reading. They're reading, and people are showing up, and they're being blessed by the reading of this. And he would do it time over and over and over again during this celebration. I know you think, man, I go, I go to a party, I don't really read the Bible. Maybe we should honor God more with special scriptures during our special times. Right? Because you made that birthday by God's grace. You had that child by God's grace. You celebrated another wedding anniversary, not because of you, I guarantee that, but because of God's grace. And so perhaps maybe we need to actually bring more of God's heart into our big moments, like we learn here. So the leaders continue on, and they're giving, they're just, they're just going on and on about how amazing God is. Then the leaders told the people, stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Then they had a prayer. That's right. They had an, a, a grateful, um, a thankfulness prayer during one of the greatest moments that they've experienced. And it wasn't a matter of, let's sit around and hold hands and let's just all be quiet. This had to be a moment of celebration in their prayer, because again, prayer is really just talking to God. It doesn't have to be a position of body, but rather a position of heart, a position of spirit. And so these people were worshiping. These people were worshiping and they were praying. And here's what they started off with. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above the, of all blessing and praise. Now I'm in Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 5. Uh, now I'm in verse 6. This is exciting. I'm just going right through it. Verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You uh, preserve, preserve all, and all the angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God, and chose Abraham and brought him, brought him out of earth. You, misery of your ancestors, our ancestors, he says, and, and uh, in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You divided the Red Sea, and your people, uh, so your people could go through dry land. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry. So you can see that this oral tradition, where this information, this tr tradition of truth, memories of what God has done, has been passed on over and over and over again, and primarily passed on where people were sitting down in relationships, and they were sharing the story. Hey, did I tell you this one yet? Right? And I'm sure a grandpa, a great-grandpa, maybe, was telling, a, probably just grandpa, was telling one of the kids, have I told you this one? And the kid goes, yes, grandpa. Right? Have you ever been in those conversations? Yes, grandpa. Or maybe you just can't tell him that, and you say, no, what was the story again? And they tell you the story again about how they walked through the Red Sea and how they experienced God's goodness. The present leaders are so excited about what God is doing. But there's an interesting conversation that continues here in prayer. It seems like the present leaders really start laying in the past leaders. And here's what they say, right? You're good, you're good, you're good, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn. They, uh, they paid no attention to your commands. You are a God of forgiveness, and, and God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and rich to unfailing love. You did not abandon them, even when they made an idol uh, made uh, shaped like a calf. 
In your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They, they, they lacked nothing. Their clothes even did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. It's almost as though they're celebrating how good God is. And saying, but even though they were continually disobedient, you were still good, right? Acknowledging the faults of their people. Acknowledging the sins of their people. And just kind of laying it out there. Laying it out there like, hey, this is what they did. This is what they did. And there may be an interesting setup here where it's like, look at what they did. You're so good. We probably won't do that, though. And I'll explain why I think that here in just a minute. Despite all that... They were uh, disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on the law. They killed their prophets. And, and, and even though that you warned them to return, they didn't. You warned them to return to the law, but they became proud and disobeyed on and on again. But, but covering that in the sense of like praising God, you are good. You are good. So can you get a sense that these people were on the ultimate spiritual high? The ultimate like honeymoon moment of celebration because it's all good at the party. It, everything's exciting. People are getting along. People are happy. Everyone's just being gracious to each other. Oh, we, that man did this thing only by the hand of God. Look at this wall. Look at this tabernacle. Look at the people. God, you are so good. And they go on and on. Nehemiah chapter 9, they continue. Now, they knew that even though that they did the physical work, only God really deserves the credit for all of it. So they're having what appears to be a real authentic change in the way that they view things. After 52 days, they still honored God, and they started making promises. They credited God by praising Him. They remembered what God had done for them. They acknowledged their own shortcomings, their mistakes, their sins. They said, thank you. When was the last time that you said thank you for even the simplest of things? How about thank you that we get to be together in this moment? How about thank you that we even have the privilege of being able to have an online uh, moment for us to be able to kind of interact that way? Uh, thank you because you woke up in a bed. Thank you because you had a blanket. Thank you, God, that I have shoes that don't have holes yet, right? Thank you, God, uh, for this. Thank you for the privilege, right, young people, that I can open the refrigerator, see a full shelf, right, full shelves, and dare say there's nothing here to eat. Thank you, God, that I can behave the way that I behave and you don't take me out, right? Thank you, God, that I get to be vulnerable to you. Thank you, God, for friendship. Thank you, God, that my furnace stayed on last night. Thank you, God, that the snow didn't come down as anticipated and we were still able to be together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That needs to be on the forefront of our mind all the time. Thank you for this because it acknowledges that you didn't do it, you couldn't sustain it, you didn't build it, and only God was the one that was able to come through for it. And so they said, thank you. Then we jump into Nehemiah chapter 10. In Nehemiah chapter 10, you can read through there and you can count up how many times they said the word promise. Because now there's a whole section of vows that the people make, 
right? All these vows, all these promises that the people were making now to God. Because after all, they have seen the work of God. This amazing, amazing wall, beautiful, strong gates, this tabernacle fit for the Lord, right? And all these people that are now coming and turning their hearts back to God and just, oh, you know what? You are moving, God. This is wonderful. This is a moment where now I say, hey, I promise to never, I promise to always, I promise to be, I promise to see, I promise to read, and they're going on and on and on. We promise to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decree. It wasn't that they said we promise to follow, but that they promise to carefully follow, which means they're going to look at the details, and they're going to follow the details. They say we promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or, or grain and be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Because in the Jewish law, they would not work on the Sabbath. And so they would they said, listen, we promise we will honor you. We will not work on that day. We promise to obey the command to pay taxes. It might be something that somebody needs to say even today in 2021. Lord, I promise to pay my taxes. And, and just honoring God by paying that which we should pay. Um, they go on to say, we promise to bring the first of every harvest. In verse 35 of chapter 10. And then they go on, we promise to bring to the Levites the tenth of everything, because after all, they're the ones that actually gather it all together. Promise. Promise. Say that word with me. Promise. They promised over and over. You know you've been there. God, if you would just get me out of this, I promise I'll never do it again. God, if you'll let this happen, I promise I'll never... God, I promise if this happens, I'll go to church every time the doors are open. Like crazy, just all kinds of... If you, God, if you will, I promise I'll read my Bible every day. I'll pray more. I'll love more. I'll give more. God, I promise, I promise, I promise. And they saw the work of God, and they saw this amazing thing happening, and they're on this huge spiritual high, and they're making all these incredible promises. With these promises, the Jewish people thanked God with their actions. They wanted to jump right in. And here's this moment where things appear to be just finally for the Israelites, right? The Jewish people to finally be following God the way they should. You guys have heard the word repentance before. The theme of repentance, repentance is really nothing more than a fancy word that says, I'm going to turn away from, right, and go a new direction. Repentance is all through scripture if you see it. It's this, uh, that you completely turn away from your old behaviors and choose to behave differently. So I'm choosing to not go down this way, I'm choosing to now go this way. That behavior, this act here is, uh, that act of behavior is repentance. The Jewish people understood what they needed to do, and I truly believe they had to really want to do it. They had to really want to do it. Even in Nehemiah chapter 12, continually praising God. God, you're so good. God, you're so awesome. God, we love you. Over to Nehemiah chapter 12. 
and you can see that they're doing this dedication of, the, of Jerusalem's wall, and they're dedicating it, and they're honoring. I mean, really, the posture of their heart had to be different, right? It had to be different, because now they were doing different things. They were acting a different way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us this. Now, of course, this wasn't written when they were there, but this is written for us today. And it was written to a church in Thessalonica. Hey, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. We should always, always, always be thankful. Because the moment you stop being thankful and grateful for what God is doing, it's that moment that you start slipping back into old behaviors. You see, big difficulties really can inspire God-sized goals. And that starts the process of you just really teaming up with God, doing what He's doing, jumping on with what He's doing, and following Him because you're designed for it. And He'll give you the strength to pursue these goals. As Nehemiah and the Jewish people learned I'm going to get the strength to do this. And these goals are, I want to share the story because it's so good, man. Look at what God is doing. He, we were exiled because of our disobedience, and then we came back, and we are committing to do what he wants us to do. We're just going to follow our Heavenly Father. And these goals certainly require gratitude. And they went on in chapter 8, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 12. Of course, this wasn't, these weren't chapters back then. So you can imagine the length of how they were like, are you done yet? We get it. No, you don't understand. Going and going and going. Believer, here's the next step for you. Find one way that you can show God gratitude through your actions and not just your words. And let's do it this week. I wish Nehemiah ended there. I wish that we could just take chapter 13 and let's just kind of scribble it out or better yet, let's just take it out. Because right here, right there, it looks like finally the Jewish people are doing exactly what they need to do. And something happened. There came a point in time Where the party was over. There came this moment where I would imagine Jerusalem was uh, was pretty intense. People had to go around and I don't know if they had confetti. <laughs> I would imagine that if I was there, I would have brought confetti. But at some point in time, somebody had to clean up. And they began to see that the party, the honeymoon, was ending. And so after this was cleaned up, and the celebration was over, uh, Nehemiah went back to the king the job was done and he went back to the king to continue to work so you gotta get back to work 
He promised the king he would. And so he's there with the king, and he gets the thought, I want to go back. And I just want to check up, because when Nehemiah left, the walls were intact. The tabernacle was solid. People that were supposed to be in the tabernacle were doing what they were supposed to do. The qualified individuals, those that the, that the law said could be in there, and then everything was laid out. People were returning to the Lord. I promise, I promise. Say it with me. I promise. So he leaves on this huge high. I can't wait to go back and see it. Ever been in a situation where you set something up and then you leave it? I bet the Apostle Paul felt this way often. When he would establish a new church, family would come together, and then he would hear grumblings. He would hear grumblings of the church. And he'd have to write another letter and another letter. Hey, don't forget to love each other. Hey, really mean it. Hey, don't do that. Hey, make sure that you do this. Nehemiah was probably just stoked. I'll go check it out. And he starts walking through the city. And he begins to see something that could only be explained by the sinfulness of our hearts. Chapter 13, the book ends on a huge downer. As Nehemiah is walking through, he sees that King Zerubbabel's work on the, on the temple and the tabernacle is actually being abandoned, neglected. The pe there's people in the tabernacle that are working that are not qualified and should not be there according to their Jewish law. Ezra's work was being abandoned and violated as people stopped listening to Scripture and they were working on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah... Even his work was being violated as this amazing, wonderful wall that was built for the city. People are now setting up marketplaces around the wall, and they were working in times they should not be working. And they were making it all about them. So Nehemiah freaks out. He goes around and he starts beating people up, ripping out their hair. Weird, right? And he starts, listen, listen, obey the law. But you know as well as I do, you know Jesus said, even if you think it, you still did it. How many times have you thought, I'm going to strangle that person to Jesus? If you would just listen, if you would just obey, if you would just do. Maybe we haven't ripped out anybody's hair. But we're not so different than Nehemiah. Unfortunately, Nehemiah wanted it more than they did. Sometimes we want it more for somebody else than what they do. And so the truth is, is that Nehemiah chapter 13 teaches us that if God does not give you a new heart, then nothing really changes. They wanted to change the way that they acted. They wanted to do the behavior modification. I want to change the way that I'm acting. But there was really no life transformation gotta believe they wanted it but something didn't get in something didn't happen they just slipped back in to their old ways because you see when you follow our heavenly father that's how you truly please him in Hebrews chapter 11 we read that it's impossible to please God without faith 
I've heard messages that actually talk to believers that say, listen, you want to please God, believer? You need to have faith. You need to have more faith. Therefore, act in faith, and therefore you're going to please God. Actually, if you read the context and you read what these words are actually saying, it talks about the salvation, the faith of salvation, which means that when you choose to follow Christ as the New Testament church, you please God. Wait, I didn't do anything yet. That's what it's all about. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to get it. Having, living in Christ is what pleases God. Because what pleases God is what Jesus did. And for us to be in Christ, that's what does it. And these guys, unfortunately, didn't get it, get it. Tried. But again, they fell away. See, it's important that we remember these things. That's why we do communion. Did everybody grab a communion on your way in? On your way in? If you did not get one, did not get one, one please raise your, please raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get one. You get one. There's only one, one restriction, if you will, if you will. On taking communion, you don't have to be a member of this church or any church family. Family, but if you're going to remember, remember the sacrifice of Jesus in your life, your life, then you need to have you need to have received that sacrifice. And so don't feel obligated to do something that you're not really sure. It's okay. It's okay. This is reserved for those who believe in the Son of God. So it goes like so it goes like this. Jesus was sitting around the dining room table, 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 table with his disciples, disciples, and, and it was at the it end, was at of, the the end of the meal. And he picked up he the, picked bread, the bread, the bread, and broke off, and he passed it, passed it, and he said, and he just says that this bread that is broken is is my body that is going to be going to be broken, going to be. He starts celebrating something he had not done yet, but he knew this was going to happen. This is before the Garden of Gethsemane where he even talked about, God, is there any other way? He knew. He knew. So this, this bread represents my body that's going to be broken. And then he took a cup, a special cup, that was on the table for after the meal, and he poured the wine into the cup, and he, and, he, and, he, and he held it, and he said, this represents my blood. My blood will be poured out for you, meaning that I'm going to give you everything. My body will be broken. Every, every drop of blood will be poured out, which was out, which was when they, when they pierced his side, and only water came out, everything. He gave everything to accomplish what he had to accomplish so that we could have the opportunity to choose to, choose to follow him in our life. So when we take this communion... Take the, very, take the very top piece, top piece there. There's two layers, two layers there. That'll reveal the little wafer there, the bread. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless this communion. May it be, may it be a comfort, a source of, a source of comfort to us as we remember that eating of this body, this broken body. We remember that his body was broken, was broken for us. Peel back, we peel back there, revealing the juice, and we drink this. Something that they, something that they ate, an ordinary, an ordinary thing that Jesus, that Jesus created for us. Ordinary. That when we, that when we sit, when we eat, we remember, we remember 
that they came off of and now they had to really live it I choose to believe based on what I see and what I've experienced in my life and around me is that the building of the tabernacle and the building of the rebuilding of the wall and, and bringing people into the city was easier than the day after the party because when everybody's working and everybody's coming together and everybody's going forward and everybody's doing it, everybody's giving each other lots of grace and mercy. Oh, yeah, oh, so sorry about that. Yeah, let's just keep going because we have a common focus, a common enemy. We're going after a goal here, a God-sized goal. And then the day after the party, when everything's cleaned up and now we have to do what we promised we would do, it was no longer attractive. And they slid right Telling you, saying you'll do it, changes nothing. Truly, truly, choosing to follow Jesus in your life is the only way to experience that new, new life. Political and social reform, they had it, but a new heart they did not. Let's pray about this. So, Heavenly Father, we just walked through a whole bunch here in this these 13 chapters of Nehemiah. There's a whole lot there. A lot of excitement, a lot of progress, a lot of celebration, a lot, a whole bunch, just amazing. It seems like they were on their way. 12 chapters of nothing but awe-inspiring, God-sized goals focused making it happen and yet we see again how though they promised your people abandoned you I know that's what the law was all about was to show us how we couldn't do it on our own so I don't know maybe they had a choice maybe they didn't But we do know that the law did not save us. It revealed how much we needed saved. And so thank you for sending your son Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for coming and fulfilling the law so that we can live in you and be guided in spirit. It's a totally new thing from then when these guys were trying to do it having the helper, having the church, having each one of us be more mobile tab tabernacles rather than just one tabernacle that uh, you reside and you actually reside in all of us. May we experience true life transformation, identifying that in baptism and choosing to be discipled and then to disciple the way that you've called us to. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your peace and your grace. In 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Families, if you want to discuss this further around the dining room table, discuss it with each other. It doesn't matter the size of your family. You got you have somebody to talk to. And if you live alone, call somebody. Talk to them. And you can go on our website at My Community Life Church. Um, also, uh, myclc.info and you can get the information there. You can get the information there to continue the conversation of what's going on. That wraps up our series goals, a study from Nehemiah. But next week, we start something really exciting as uh, we start uh, a series called Free to Be the Church. We're going to learn from the book of James and what that actually means to be free to be the church. It's also Black History Month, so we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate each other. We're going to celebrate freedom and what it really means to be free in Christ and how we, how I rather, can be the church. Will you stand with me and receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and be the church. <laughs>